James 4 and 14, what is your life? We're talking about building our dream. And this is one of the most important questions you can ask going down the road toward your destiny. And I love this because sooner or later, I don't love this part of it. Every one of us will mess up, but I love what happens. Because so many of us have come to believe that God accepts us when we're perfect, but rejects us when we're flawed or make a mistake. In Israel's darkest hour, when they were being carried away into captivity, this is what God said. And Jeremiah, I have set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land and build them and not pull them down and plant them and not pluck them up. And he went on to say, furthermore, furthermore, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and they shall return to me with their whole heart. Right in the middle of their darkest hour, God says, it isn't over. I didn't write you off. And it's important that we learn that. And then speaking of these things, because as I mentioned, every one of us will make a mistake. And what I'm going to talk about today actually grows out of our failure to understand these verses in Jeremiah. That when we have made a mistake, then then what? Because then we lose our inspiration to continue to try because we think we've lost God's help. We haven't. I love what Paul says, and these verses continue to inspire me. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended this one thing I do. He said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Just say it with me again. Humor me and say upward. At the risk of being redundant, I want to point out one more time that the call of God is a call to ever go higher. Higher in your relationships, your marriage, your family, your finances, your walk with God. Higher in every possible way. Because somewhere along the line, people thought all God was interested in was getting you to heaven and whatever you went through here. Eh, He wasn't much interested in that. No, it's the upward call. And he said, if you're mature, the next verse says, you'll have the same mind. You'll understand what I'm telling you. And the reason that that this is so important is because, as I've stated, I believe that God gets glory the more our lives are a reflection of his goodness and grace. So the more blessed I am, the more God gets glory out of that because the more people look at me and see his handiwork in my life. I want to pray. Father... Let your spirit speak to us this morning and give us a word that can literally change our lives from this day forward because your word has that power. You spoke a word and, Lord, boom, instantly light appeared when you said, let there be light. You spoke other words that produced an instantaneous response. Let your word do that to us today, I ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Sometimes that upward call means climbing up the hard way. I'm not going to pretend that to pursue the upward call of God to greater blessings in every part of your life, a closer walk with God or a stronger family. I'm not going to pretend that's, that's easy. I'm not going to pretend that. 
I'm going to tell you that oftentimes it's challenging. And one reason people opt out of the upward call is because it is challenging. I want to say this. If you're ever going to be everything God wants you to be, you should realize there is an enemy that is opposing you and trying to talk you out of your destiny. Amen. And you cannot give up just because it became challenging or somebody misunderstood you or hurt your feelings. Right? Andrew talked last week about storms. Jesus with the disciples in a storm. I years ago heard an old preacher say this, and I really listened to what he had to say, and I, I decided he was telling the truth. He said the three conditions of a human being in this world, saved or unsaved, is you're either in a storm, you just got out of one, or you're getting ready to go in one. Because this is a fallen world we live in. Amen. And sometimes to make it to the top, to achieve your dream, you just got to, well, we sometimes talk about getting down and dirty. You ever heard that? The dictionary defines getting down and dirty as marked by or given to fierce and often unscrupulous competition. Like getting down and dirty in campaigning, which they're getting ready to do and have already started. Amen. It means getting down and dirty means to be overly aggressive in physical activities or make the full effort. And what that means is, you know, sometimes you engage in trying to accomplish something. You realize it's going to really take some effort. And you say, boy, this is time to get down and dirty with it, man. And just pull out all the stops is what you mean. Well, getting down and dirty sometimes has other connotations, too, that are not so pleasant. So today I want to talk to you about getting up and getting dirty. Getting up and getting dirty. Look at 2 Samuel 5, 4 through 10. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And the men and his king went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. The reason was... Zion was a stronghold, as we'll see shortly. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David, which it later came to be known as, and this is how he did it. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be captain or chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Getting up and getting dirty. What many believers do not realize is that even after Israel crossed over into their promised land and inhabited their possession and the fighting had stopped, for hundreds of years they had not yet conquered everything that belonged to them or was promised them by God. They had not yet taken Zion the city that David is about to take in battle. When you look at a map of the promised land, what's amazing is that you will find that Zion is located right smack dab in the middle of the promised land that God had promised to give to Israel. 
it's right in the very heart of their territory. There was a reason that Zion was important, not just its geographical location at the very center of their nation, but Zion was important for more compelling reasons. It was important because it was known as the city of God or where God's presence dwelt and was at the heart of Israel's prophetic destiny as well as their illustrious past. Speaking of prophetic destiny, most of us understand that when we talk about the city of David, the city of God, we talk about Zion, we understand what that means because we're familiar with Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. We have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. There it is right there in Scripture. Zion was the city of the living God. God attached his presence there the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, Zion had already, by the time David come along, came along, played an extremely significant role in shaping the future of the nation of Israel. Mount Moriah, for example, that we read about in Genesis 22, where Abraham offered Isaac, is a part of Mount Zion. It's one of the little hills there on Mount Zion. Amen. It was later to play an incredible role in Israel's future destiny following Abraham as the nation of Israel began to be shaped. Zion was where David, for example, after he had made the mistake of numbering Israel, and the plague was released on Israel because God had told Israel, you never, never number or take a census of the fighting people of this, of this country because you will depend on that and you will lean on the arm of flesh. And he said, I want you to always remember that when you were nobody, I brought you out of Egypt and helped you conquer the greatest empire in the world. One plus God is always a majority, so don't be counting your numbers to see who you got lined up on your side. If I'm in it, it's going to win because I don't sponsor failure. Amen. So if I'm on your side, you don't need to be, be counting how many soldiers you got behind you. David made the mistake of ignoring that admonition and numbered the soldiers in Israel. And a plague was released. And as the angel of destruction was about to destroy and was destroying many of Israel's, was about to destroy the city of Jerusalem, David came to the the threshing floor of Aranah the Jebusite and stopped the angel by offering a sacrifice there and God said let this be on me and not on your people Lord they haven't done anything amen Mount Zion's significance to God is further emphasized by the fact that it was on this same mountain where Abraham offered Isaac and where David offered that sacrifice that stopped destruction it was on this same mountain that Solomon would build the temple and where the glory of God would come and descend on that mountain in such a thick, heavy cloud that the priests could not even minister. They had to, to leave the temple building itself. It was full of the manifest glory of God. This is the same place that many years later would come to be called Calvary because as Abraham had offered his son on this mountain, he was foreshadowing the fact that God would someday offer his son on this very same location as a propitiation for our sins, thus buying our atonement with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
Today, it still has significance and that it is called the Temple Mount and is in the news constantly is at the center of this, this controversy that exists between Jew and, and Muslim, Palestinian and Israeli. This source of constant conflict that exists over the Temple Mount area. And it's significant to Christians because we read the scripture and we read that in the someday in the future when man has gone down all these roads that he keeps choosing to go down saying, I don't need God, and he begins to deal with the consequences of his bad choices, someday he's going to wake up and say, God, I need your help. And God's going to set up his earthly kingdom. And when he does, guess where his headquarters will be? And a new temple built on this very location. For thousands of years, God has been attached and continues to be attached to that piece of real estate. Now, what is amazing is how the story unfolds that tells us the manner in which Zion came to be in the hands of God's people. Because from the time of Abraham, somehow something had happened. And this place where Abraham offered his son Isaac, it had come to be in the hands of people that were not worshipers of Jehovah God, the Jebusites. In fact, the Jebusites actually fought against Joshua and the children of Israel when Israel entered their promised land hundreds of years before David was ever born. But they were defeated by the Israelites. The only problem was those that remained retreated back to the city of Mount Zion that was such an impregnable fortress that the tribe of Judah that had been tasked with the responsibility of removing the Jebusites were never strong enough to be able to get them out of that stronghold. Interesting because Judah means praise. And there are some levels of your inheritance you will never get until you learn to reach a higher level of worship. Amen. Some things, your level of worship will carry you so far. But if you're going to move to the next dimension, you're going to have to find a more meaningful place of worship. And, and, and David said to his men, this just isn't right, that this area so touched by God is in the hands of people who do not value God. This is our inheritance, and we're centuries behind schedule. We need to do something about it. Too many promises have been made, and too much significance has been attached to Zion for us to forget about it. So he got his men together, and they went to Zion, and the enemy started taunting David and said, the only way you're going to get in here is if you conquer our blind and our lame. What they were saying was the city built on a hill, had strategic military advantage being uh, an, on, on the high ground. Not only that, you could not scale uh, the, 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 the hill up into the city, the mount into the city, only by one means of access, and that was controlled and guarded over by the sentries at the gate. It was virtually impregnable as a fortress, and they meant what they said. We could put our blind and our lame on the gate, and David, you and all your army couldn't get in here. And they said, you're going to have to defeat our blind and our lame before we let you in here. Further, it had springs of water. The name Zion actually has a meaning that indicates that there were springs there that sprang up 
from subterranean depths that meant that they didn't need to go outside to draw water. They could grow their crops on that mountain. They could, you couldn't starve them out in a siege is what it really meant. And David is listening to these accusations and his blood is boiling. He's hearing these taunts. You'll never get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care what your God said. And David said, it's our inheritance. God's already given it to us. And he refused to be thwarted by their distractions. One of the things that you learn as you pursue your destiny is you've got to deal with distractions effectively. Amen. They can mess you up. They can get you sidetracked, get you to, to lose your focus, but you've got to stay on the main thing. Don't let anybody talk you out of where you know you're supposed to be going. Amen. And the problem was everybody agreed with the enemy. And everybody said, you know, David, that, they're right. We, we can't break in that city. It's impregnable. There's no way in there. Everybody agreed, and David said, look, I want, I, th th this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to incentivize this opportunity. Everybody's telling me what can't be done. I will make whoever finds a way into this city and gets those gates open to be the captain of my army. Amen. What he meant was the general of the armed forces of the nation of Israel. You will be my military commander. And whoever is the first into that city gets that opportunity. Everybody else has said, no need trying. But there was one guy out there that it just so happened when David said that, his ears perked up because that was his ambition and his dream. His name was Joab. He saw two problems. Number one, the enemy had what he knew belonged to God and God's people. And number two, he, the enemy was standing between him and his promotion. <laughs> and he decided to do something about it. So he decided to get up and get dirty. Amen. And that's what you've got to do. Let me explain. After everybody told David there's no way, David took a walk around that Mount Zion. And he looked and they were absolutely right. There was no means of access or egress. In fact, he only found one possible avenue that could be exploited. And that was through what they called, and in the scripture, what the scripture talked about that I read to you a moment ago, the water shaft. Amen. And we read that, and that's the NIV or the New King James, rather, that's on the screen. The NIV says the same thing. We read these newer translations, and we think water shaft. Oh, yeah, where they drew their water up. Amen. Kind of like a whale or something. And the truth of the matter is with their springs, they didn't need that. And that's not what it was in reference to. The King James comes a lot closer to telling us what this actually was all about. The King James calls it a gutter. Amen. And this, this gutter that we're talking about was not where they drew their drinking water. To the contrary, it was where the sewer effluent from the city was discharged. It was right down through all the muck and mire that came out of the city latrines and the waste of the city because they didn't have sanitation plants in those days. 
And if you've ever been to a third world, a developing country, and been in some of those shanty towns or those some of those impoverished places, you you don't dare walk in in some of the ditches there because that that that's open sewers is what that is. You don't want to you want to be careful, and and whenever you're traveling in some of these countries, you get shoes that have molded soles. So if you do step in water, it can't get through, and bacteria or disease cannot attack your body through your feet. I'm serious. You you're careful to do that. That's one of the things they teach you, because you don't want to get in that contamination. And you know what? Everybody else, when they found, David came back and said, guys. I've did a survey. I've completed my, 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 my evaluation. And I'll tell you, I'll make whoever finds a way in to be the general. But there's only one area of weakness that I see that can be exploited. Somebody might be able to climb up that sewer and get in. And at that point, anybody that had aspirations to be general said, I'm done. I'm done with that. Amen. Mark my name off the list. If that's what it takes, I'm not willing to go through it. But there was one guy that wanted it bad. He wanted it so bad that the Jebusites never suspected somebody could want it that desperately. And Joab said, get out of my way. I'll do it if it can be done. I don't mind the muck and the dirt and the filth and the mire. I'll go whatever I've got to go through to get to my next level. Amen. Lord, have mercy. And many people in life live like they're looking for the easy way to their victory. Like somehow, because you got saved, you think God's supposed to make your enemies just automatically disappear and wave a magic wand and they all turn into, you know, sheep or mice or something and you scamper out of the, into the darkness and just because you showed up. No, I want you to understand there is a principle in, in this story. David watched as his warrior, Joab, climbed into that shaft that was the shaft that emptied the affluent, the sewer waste of a city. And nobody in that city thought that someone would come up that way. <laughs> you may want in, but nobody wants it this bad. You see, there's just, you, what you need to understand is the devil is going to do just enough to keep you from getting to where you need to go. And you got to want it a little bit more than what he's been willing to do to stop you. I'm preaching right now. I said, you got to want it and be willing to do a little bit more than he's willing to do to stop you. Some of you don't even know how close you are to the tipping point right now. Amen. And the enemy thought, surely nobody's going to be foolish enough to expose themselves to this. And they did not even leave a guard to secure that area. And climbing up through all of that stuff, Joab stops, wipes the muck out of his eyes, pulls his sword and charges out of there and attacks the enemy from behind as they're watching out over the wall to see who's going to be stupid enough to try to hit us head on. Amen. And he knocks them out of the way, throws open the gate, and David and his army march in. And 
they capture Zion. It comes to be called the city of God. After hundreds of years had passed, they finally get the last of their inheritance. And not only that, guess who at the end of the day is wearing stars on his epaulets now? He's General Joab, if you please. He's the head of the army. Amen. He's the head of the military. You've got to want your dream enough to go through whatever junk you're going to face to be able to get it. Hallelujah. Amen. One of our men here, he's in this service this morning. I won't mention his name because he hasn't given me permission. He would, I'm sure. But he's, he's a brilliant engineer. And, and he works for a petrochemical company. has been in charge of huge projects. And through the years, he and I have prayed about some of the challenges in his job. And he's been a friend. His family have for many, many years. And he was working for bosses that were essentially making him do the work while they took credit for it. None of you ever been in a situation like that, have you? And not only that, they talk bad about him. We're not going to allow him to get to the next level. And all this time, he's been managing a budget of tens of millions of dollars, running huge projects, and they were very happy, thank you, to let him do the work, come up with the ideas, then go in and see the directors of the company and say, look what I came up with the other day, amen, and steal his stuff, as it were. And it was so depressing and difficult for him to go through. But you know what he did? Kept climbing up the hard way, amen. And do you know what? The other day I got an email from him while I was in Africa and it said, my Jezebel and my Ahab have been destroyed. Amen. Hallelujah. Four people that were taking advantage of him all got called into the director's office in the same day and fired on the spot the very same day. I don't know how that's going to turn out just yet, but I believe somehow there's a promotion coming in the middle of all of this. You know what you do when you encounter the junk that keeps you from reaching the next level? Keep climbing anyway. Tell somebody, keep climbing anyway. Don't get mad. Because God will deal with your Jezebels and your Ahabs and he will remove your obstacles. What I'm saying is you got to want it bad enough to go through what's necessary to get there. Marcus Luttrell is a name that really every person in Houston should know, if not the nation. In fact, his brother Morgan, twin brother Morgan Luttrell is another name we should know. They're from Waller, Texas, just not far from here. They're two of the most exceptionally brave men this state has ever produced, and that is saying a lot for this state. He and others like him have paid a huge price to help defend our nation. His story was written in a book called Lone Survivor. Anybody get to see the movie by the same name starring Mark Wahlberg? That was Marcus Luttrell that Mark Wahlberg was playing the role of. When he and his brother, Morgan, twin brother, were kids, their dream was to be in the U.S. Special Forces. They realized it would not be easy. They wanted to become U.S. SEAL team members. 
and only a small percentage of those who even apply are accepted and then a much smaller percentage of those who are accepted even graduate as SEALs and survive the training program. Out of 40,000 recruits each year in the U.S. Navy, only 1,000 are even accepted into the SEAL team program. Out of the 1,000, only 200 to 250 make it through the course. If you're doing the math, that's a little bit better than five out of every 1,000 make it through the course. Or another way to say it, 995 out of 1,000 don't. Amen. The instructors, if you've watched the videos, will tell you again and again that the ones that make it are not the fastest, the brightest, they're not the most athletic. All of those guys that have had it easy because they're gifted, that always naturally were good at baseball or football or, or shooting the hoops or, or any of the other stuff, those are among the first to fall out when the real program kicks in. There's a slab called the grinder where they meet every day to do their calisthenics and, and also for uh, the parade inspection and everything else, inspection by, by their, their drill sergeants and to be given instruction. And there's a bail there. And every day, several times in the course of the day, the instructor will say, see that bail? Go ring it and you can get out of this. And you know what? Many of them do. Because the instructor says, it's no shame for you to drop out. After all, you were among the one out of 40,000, the, uh, the, the, the 1,000 out of 40,000 that made it. You're special. You're in a cut above everybody else. Now you, you were accepted. Most people aren't. Go ahead and ring the bell. And the instructors, when asked why they keep taunting their, their inductees and their trainees, they say, because if there's any quit in you, we want to find it right now. Amen. And the ones that end up surviving the program and then surviving Hell Week, which is the infamous period of time when for a week they, don't, they, they train 20 hours a day to the point of delirium and exhaustion and pneumonia and everything else. When Hell Week finally ends, only that little handful that's among all of those many that started survive. And you know what the instructors have found out? Almost inevitably, it's not the guy that was the athlete, not the guy that knew how to do it, not the guy that was always looked up to by everybody. It was the little quiet, unassuming person that you never suspected just didn't know how to quit no matter how hard it got. And you know... It's got to be that way in the kingdom of God because you're called as a soldier into this army to serve God and you can't get in this thing and just look for the easy way out. Can I hear somebody say amen? Let me tell you what they did. They climbed up the hard way because these, while other teenagers were doing whatever teenagers like to do, play sports, go out on Friday nights to the game. Have a girlfriend. You know what Marcus and Morgan, these twin brothers, did? They got an ex-Special Forces soldier who was their neighbor named Billy Shelton to help them prepare to gain acceptance into the SEAL team program. 
when they got out of school. They started training at 14. And for the next several years, they went through their, as soon as they would get up in the morning, go through their, their, their calisthenics and all of their things and then come in from school. And while other kids were doing whatever guys like to do and playing video games, not these guys, they were out there doing the running and the swimming and the weightlifting and, and practicing the hand-to-hand -hand combat training until finally when they graduated high school, Billy Shelton said, I think you're ready, and sent them down, and they passed the test, and both were accepted into the SEAL team training program and survived it, survived Hell Week, and both became U.S. SEALs and became heroes that carry their wounds that they earned in battle overseas as they defended this nation. What does this illustrate, you say? Why tell me about Marcus and Morgan Latrell? I don't have any desire to be in the military, you may say. I'm never going to be a SEAL. Don't want to be. You say, what application does it have? I'll tell you what it proves. It demonstrates one thing that is shared by every person who seeks to excel in any endeavor in life, regardless of whether it's finances, family, ministry, military, or whatever, education. There's one common thread, and that is you've got to be willing to give it everything you've got and not quit. Somebody say amen. I love what Jim Rohn said. He said, you cannot hire someone else to do your push-ups for you. <laughs> Think about it. We want to go up the easy way. But no, sometimes you've got to get up and dirty. You've got to climb up through the sewer to be able to get to where you're going. I'm not saying it's all a bed of roses. What I'm telling you is exactly the opposite of that. With Christ in you, though, you have the power to overcome every obstacle. Amen. Amen. Part of the price that you've got to pay to achieve your dream is to make every moment count. And this is difficult for many of us. The Bible says we need to redeem the time, which means rescue it, salvage it, get it back. Our time has been taken hostage. It's been captured by the enemy. And most of us have never realized that. This story about David taking Zion demonstrates that to me. Because it wasn't the right time under Abraham, and it wasn't the right time under Joshua but it was the right time under David. And David recognized this is our moment. This is our opportunity to get the rest of our inheritance. And he didn't write it off to the enemy. He said, we're going to get it. Amen. We're moving right now. I often like to quote Leonard Ravenhill. He said, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. Wow. That is so true. To demonstrate that, many of us have read where Paul tried to go into Asia, but God said no, and a Macedonian appeared and said, Paul, come over and help us. Was, have you ever considered there might have been a reason that God did not send Paul to the east, which would have been into Asia, and he sent him instead to the west, which is us? Could it have been that God had planned for somebody else to go to the east? Watch this and tell me what you think. In 1280... Niccolo Polo returned home to Venice, Italy with his brother, Maffeo. 
After an absence of 17 years trading with a confederation of Mongol tribes who had just become the new lords of southern Russia, Mongolia, China, Korea, and other lands beyond, he was a Christian and a believer. The Polos had been sent back to Italy to convince the Pope. They had been sent by Kublai Khan, who was the emperor of all of those lands I've just mentioned, the leader of the largest land empire in the history of the world, had met Marco and Maffeo Polo, was impressed by their Christianity and wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. And when they told him, he said, my whole empire needs to become Christian. We need missionaries. And Niccolo and Maffeo Polo were sent back to visit the Pope to ask for 100 missionaries to be sent immediately to the far east to preach the gospel to those people that were so hungry. To show you how big his empire was, it reached from the Pacific Ocean to the Black Sea, from Siberia to modern-day Afghanistan, and included one-fifth of the world's inhabited land area. One-fifth was ruled by one man who was hungry for God. And because he was hungry for God, he told his people, these men have something we need. And they were waiting for them to return with 100 missionaries. When Niccolo Polo returned to Venice, he found his wife had died not long after he had left and had been dead for almost 17 years. Not only that, he found out that in his absence, his wife, who was pregnant but didn't know it when he was leaving, had given birth to his son, Marco Polo, while he was gone. He found a young boy, 17 years old, waiting to meet his father for the first time. And together, Maffeo and Niccolo Polo went to the Pope and said, please send 100 missionaries, all of China, Russia, Korea, Japan, that whole region is waiting through Afghanistan. They want the gospel message. Now, what do we have there? It is the darkest region of the world. Our conflicts have been in the same area because in the absence of Christianity moving in, other religions have flourished. And you know what? In response to the request, nine years later, the Pope, instead of sending a hundred Men sent two missionaries in 1289, and one of them died en route to the Far East. When Niccolo Polo heard the Pope was only sending two, he was so embarrassed that he hated to go back and face the Kublai Khan and took his son Marco Polo with him, which is why you and I have heard of the adventures and journeys of Marco Polo. He brought him to serve because he couldn't even get missionaries to go. The Pope refused. Amen. And through Marco Polo's travels, we came to know about places like China and others. Those religions in those parts of the world began to become hostile to the Christian faith because it was so popular with the Kublai Khan. And then the door of opportunity began to close. And then in 1338, 58 years after the original request, the church got around to sending 50 missionaries but now it was too late. The door that was now wide, had been wide open then had now closed because of the church's failure to send missionaries when the call came. China and those nations are now the most unreached part of our world. 
And could it be that God said, Paul, you don't go. You go over here to Macedonia because I'm lining up something else for people to hear the gospel here. But when the time came, somebody didn't see their opportunity and seize it. Don't let your opportunity go by. Amen. Learn that the lifetime of an opportunity must be seized within the, 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 the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of that opportunity. So we all start with the same time. We have to redeem our time. And that means making cuts and adjustments that just, well, I'm not going to say get down and dirty. You got to get up and dirty. You're going to have to do some stuff that doesn't go with popular culture. You're going to have to say no to some things. And that's what I'm closing with today. We all start with 24 hours a day. Let this single sheet of paper represent your life, okay? This is your life. And I don't care who you are, you only get 24 hours a day. You don't get 25 and somebody else get 23. You only get 24, period. Amen. It's amazing how much some people can do with that 24. And it's amazing how little some others get done. You won't have enough time in your life to do everything you want. And one of the most important things that I as a pastor can teach you is do what matters. Do what matters. Amen. This sheet of paper represents your life. And right off the bat, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut one-third of it off. And throw it away. You know why? Because that represents the time you will spend sleeping. You're not doing nothing while you're sleeping. I'm sorry. They used to have these tapes you'd play while you're asleep. Learn a language while you're sleeping. Mm -mm. This represents what's left of your life. But you don't even have this much time, not really. Because, you see, this is two-thirds of what you started with. But when you look at it, one-third of what remains, or 24% of the, what you started with, will actually be spent working for the man on a job. So let's get rid of that, too. Amen. Now... This is what you have left. We started out with the whole paper. But the next statistic is both amazing and frightening. In a study released last year of data compiled by the Nielsen ratings, the people who watch what we watch on TV tell us that children aged 2 to 11 watch over 24 hours of TV a week. While adults aged 35 to 49 watch more than 33 hours of TV a week, and that increases as we get older. In fact, the average American watches, are you ready? Over 35 hours a week of television. Now you gotta tear up 20% of what you started with. Television has been one of the worst inventions of the modern era. So this is what you actually have left to excel with in your life. Amen. Oh, but pastor, I only watch the good stuff. I watch the news. <laughs> CNN, MSNBC, Fox, ABC. Oh, really? 
You don't watch the news. They make the news these days. Have you figured that out yet? I'm old enough to remember when they used to report the news. I remember Walter Cronkite sitting there all sober and you could see the expression on his face as he tells about Neil Armstrong's one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. I remember watching him report the JFK assassination. They don't report news anymore. They make the news now. They tell you what they want you to hear. Oh, come on, get real. I'm preaching right now. They spin it. So now that you've taken away one-third with sleeping 24% on the job and 20% of your life watching TV, you have used up 77% of your life, and that's all there is left. That leaves only 23%. But you will spend four and a half years, or four, sorry, four and one-third years of your life driving a car. In Houston, I can believe that. Amen. Not only that, you will also spend one and one half years of your life in the bathroom. <laughs> bathing, doing your nails. Shall you? I'm serious. Your hair. Amen. You will spend six months of your life just standing in a queue. Pull it up on Google. I'm making none of this up. And between the time you spend in the bathroom and get this, you will spend also almost four and a half years of your life eating. Some of us, maybe a little bit more than that. Between the time you spend in the bathroom eating and just standing in a queue, that totals six and a half years of your life. Add the time you spent driving your car, that's another that's now a total of 11 years of your life. And guess what? Throw in three and a half more years for the time you will spend behind a computer. And you know what? You are now down to less than half of what you had left a moment ago. Less than half. That's another 14% that just disappeared right there. And this is what you actually have left of your life. But even that is not true. Because how old are you right now anyway? And how much of your life is already gone? And what is going to happen, I haven't even mentioned as a part of this list. Here's my point. If you're going to climb up to the next level, you're going to have to decide what you're going to spend your life on and stop letting everybody else make those decisions for you. Amen. For example, I want to ask you, where's God in the rest of this? Now maybe you know why. I just got through telling you all these statistics and some of you are looking at each other saying, I'm tired. I'm going, oh, I'm taking a nap. I didn't know I was that busy. You are that busy. Amen. That's why you feel tired all the time. That's why some people can't give an hour and a half to go to church faithfully every Sunday morning or will not take the time to read their Bible every day or spend some time every day with God. What I'm asking you is, with this, can you at least set a, 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 aside a little time for God? Because you're not going to make it without Him. The Lord is your life. He is your light and the strength of your salvation. Had it not been for the Lord.
was on my side. Amen. Amen. Where is the time you're going to spend in this in developing the skills necessary for you to get the next promotion? Well, Pastor, I've got to have a little time for myself, don't I? Go to the game and fish. Isn't this the point I'm making is that we're unrealistic in our dreams because we're dreaming about things that are really just magical thinking. We're expecting God to come down and we're not willing to climb up the hard way. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you a question. What could we do if we cut back on some of the TV time? Oh, it's getting quiet in here now. 35 hours a week, you have got to be kidding me. There's no wonder most of us are brain dead half our lives. I heard about a girl that used to go to the church that I attended as a kid. She's younger than I am, and she's senile. I'm not making that up. I'm serious. Amen. I feel sorry for her. But if all you do is vegetate in front of a TV, what are you doing with your life? What are you young people going to do with yours? What are you going to do with that little sliver of time you have left? This is what you've got to make your mark with right there. Unless you redeem the time the enemy is stealing from you today and use it. What could you do if you took your time back? How about this? Learn a second language? Hello? Maybe learn to play a musical instrument? Go back to school and get another degree? Develop a different set of skill sets so you can get promoted to the next level? Oh, I've got a good one. How about starting a ministry to help somebody? Amen. I'm not asking you to be a pastor. Start and launch a ministry. Or if you can't do that, get involved in one we already have going on and help somebody find God. Make a change in somebody's life. Make your life count because this is all you've got left to work with right there. And this, and this is what you have to build your family. This is what you have to build your career. This is what you have left to build your ministry, your finances, your business. That's all right there. Make it count. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity.